0: the world's best. Carlson, 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 Carlson. hoj, här kommer Carlson, 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 Carlson. ingen faktiskt, ingen annan. Carlson! Heller så bra som mig. Carlson, 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 Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson! Yes. 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 Thank you, everybody, for tuning into the first NHL playoffs episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, I guess of the 2016 season. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me,
1: as always, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Hello, old friends. It feels like it's been so long. Last night, I was up so late watching playoff hockey. So, if my voice sounds a little raspy, that's because I was shouting at my television screen that Drew Dowdy does not deserve the Norris.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, just an FYI
0: programming note it is Saturday morning right now, so all the stats we're going to say only go up until Saturday. So, as of now, Mikhail Neuwirth is the hero of the playoffs. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, he'll get shelled in game six by the Capitals. But, Brian, Before we get started with today's content, I want to just mention that DauberHockey.com is still the site that's presenting our podcast, and they are still the best fantasy hockey website out there. They have not shut down just because the fantasy season is over. They're going into full playoffs mode. There's still daily ramblings every day. They're still updating the starting goalies on goalie post. The player profiles are still on point, updated with playoff stats. So if you need to check anything out related to fantasy hockey, you got to go to DauberHockey.com.
1: Dauber Hockey is your all-out fantasy hockey web resource. They've got things that nobody else has, especially the series Capped, which helps a lot of you in capped leagues figure out which player gives you the best value per dollar of their contract, which is a really interesting facet of leagues that work with a salary cap. If you're interested in figuring out how to value players that way... Head on over to DauberHockey.com and check out the Capped series. I know some of our patrons are really big fans of it.
0: Yeah, that's one type of league that we don't generally discuss on Keeping Carlson, and maybe we're going to do an episode during the summer series about cap leagues. We've got a fun summer series ahead, but for now, this week, we're still going to talk about what's going on now in the context of Fantasy Hockey and in the context of going into next year. So we're going to talk about some playoffs, heroes, and zeros so far, almost through the first round of the NHL playoffs. And there are some players who have been surprising us, some players who have been real duds, and we want to talk about if that is going to lead into next year, or if, you know, we just count these playoff stats with a grain of salt. Let's start in San Jose. Yesterday, late at night, Brian was yelling at his TV about Drew Doughty because he has eliminated the San Jose Sharks, are the second team, actually, to advance to the second round. Tampa Bay did it a day before. We'll talk about Tampa Bay in a second. I want to talk about San Jose. I want to talk specifically about Brent Burns, who is currently tied for first in NHL playoff scoring. As a defenseman, he has eight points in five games. Unbelievable. And this is after an amazing year overall for Brent Burns. I know we talked about him a bit over the last couple of weeks, but just to recap, he had 75 points in 82 games this year. That is insane. If it wasn't for Eric Carlson, we'd probably be talking about Brent Burns as the biggest defenseman splash. Like, I guess we also talked about Chris Tang last week. I don't want to get into that whole defenseman rankings, but just specifically Brent Burns. This 75 points is a huge jump from where he's been for the rest of his career. He had 60 points the year before, which was also amazing for a defenseman. And I would have thought, yeah, if you draft him as a 60-point defenseman, you might be reaching. I don't know if he'll be able to hit that again. He had never done it before. This year to 75, Brian, my question is okay, he's having a great playoffs. Forget about the playoffs. Even just look at the regular season. Where do people draft this guy next season? Like, he also had so many shots on goal, really good peripherals. But even just in terms of points, like, do you think
1: he's a 70-point guy now? Is that how we should be drafting him next year? I'm going to take a lot of the suspense out of this, Elon, and just say yes. But here are my reasons why. I mean, if you look at last year, Brent Burns' name wasn't even amongst those that we considered drafting in the first early forward runs in your draft. We had guys there like, Carlson, Subban, Giordano, maybe Kevin Shattenkirk. Brett Burns was not in the picture, but going into this year, he definitely deserves to be. In the 11 seasons before this one, only four blue liners in the NHL had registered 70 points in a single campaign, and the first one to do it in that span was Sergei Zubov, then Nicholas Lidstrom, he did it twice, then Mike Green, he did it twice, and Eric Carlson did it three times, and with his 75 points this year, Brent Burns becomes the fifth Player to do that to hit the 70 point mark as a defenseman since 2004 2005. His is the highest single season point total by a defenseman not named Eric Carlson since 2009 2010. And even with Carlson in the mix, it's the second highest one year total of the last three years. And everybody wants to know can Brent Burns do this again? And we had one of our patrons, Toot, ask us as the season ended. He said, Hey guys, Brent Burns had about 250 shots on goal last year. This most recent season, he had about 350 shots on goal. So what is this guy? Is he a 250 shot guy or 350 shot guy? That's a huge gap. That's not something that just happens accidentally with a flip of the coin.
0: So Brian, did you just answer that if two years ago he had 250 and this year he had 350, the next year he's probably just going to get 450? Keep the pattern going?
1: Actually, I was thinking the pattern because three years ago, he had a good shooting season as well on pace for about 300, maybe more. So I thought we we're going to say, well, he had an on-season first, and then an off-season, and then he just had another on-season, so next season, he's off.
0: Oh, man, but you said at the beginning of all this that you do think he's a 70-point guy. Yes.
1: No, anyone who believes in that, I doubt listens to the show, or at least doesn't listen very closely. <laughs> He did take a dip last year in his numbers. Last year's numbers were the aberration. If you look at the last three seasons, like I said, in 2013-14, he was on pace for about 300 shots on goal, and then he went down last year in all of his shot-taking metrics to 250, and then this year blew up. So why this year did he get even more shots than two years ago if I'm saying that this year is actually representative of what he can do for you as a producer? And the explanation is actually pretty simple— He has more points this year than he did two years ago and more shots this year than he did two years ago. Even though his rate stats were about the same, he had a ton more power play time on ice this year than he has in any of the last several years of his career. Two years ago, he averaged less than one minute per game of power play time, which seems just criminal at this point. He had about 60 minutes in 69 games played this year. Brent Burns averaged nearly 3 minutes per game on the ice with the man advantage, and that is where he racked up those extra points and shots to vault him into elite fantasy production for blue liners. As long as he keeps getting that power play time on ice, and it seems to be working pretty well for him and the Sharks, so I think he will, I think you can bank on him to be one of the highest scoring defensemen in the league. 70 points always seems like such a hard thing to predict for a defenseman. Like I said, it's barely happened. In the last 11 years so it's hard to say that that's going to happen again but if you're looking at a more conservative 60 plus or even 65 if we want to get less conservative I think you've got it in Brent Burns if you're looking for offense from the blue line for your fantasy team he has to be one of the top three maybe top two defensemen that you draft next year
0: Yeah, and you know, it really depends on your league format. The fact that he gives you all those shots, he also blocks about two shots a game, gets an okay number of hits. Maybe he could even be number one. Maybe he's even worth more than Eric Carlson. And Eric Carlson's a guy that we used to think of as taking a lot of shots, but Brent Burns like blew him out of the water this year. One of our valued Keeping Carlson patrons, Dave, started a project recently on our Keeping Carlson patron only Facebook group where he's been asking the patrons to rank all of the players in the NHL. He wants to generate the Keeping Carlson patron rankings. And every day we've been voting on who should get the next slot. we're using the kakupful as the measure, the league measure. The couple counts goals, assists, shots, blocks, and special teams points for skaters. Brent Burns has landed in at number eight, believe it or not. So people are really banking on him for next year. And like Brian's saying, it sounds like that's a smart thing to do. Let's see how he does for the rest of the playoffs. I can't imagine why he'll slow down. The Sharks are scoring a lot of goals and he's in on almost all of them.
1: For contrast, on average, he was picked 42nd overall in ESPN League. So that's a huge jump if the Keeping Carlson rankings come to fruition and do end up reflecting where he gets drafted this upcoming fantasy season. I can't imagine he goes 42nd again.
0: (laughs) Definitely not. Okay, we'll bring up these rankings again in a little bit, but let's move on to another playoff hero so far. We have to talk about Nikita Kucherov on the Tampa Bay Lightning, the other team that has advanced to the second round. He's also tied for first in playoff points with 8 points. Right behind him Tyler Johnson with 7 points. And at this point you really have to wonder, especially with Kucherov, what is this guy's ceiling even just for next season? A lot of people talk about Steven Stamkos as the obvious number 1 guy on Tampa Bay. And you know what? We were having a discussion about Stephen Stamkos in terms of the overall rankings and if he should be in the top 10. Some people on our Patreon Facebook group say Stamkos shouldn't even be considered the number one player on Tampa Bay. He's been eclipsed by Nikita Kucherov. This year, Kucherov had 66 points in 77 games. That followed... Last year, we had 64 points in 82 games. And I remember going into this year, we were saying that we liked Kucherov's chances of doing better because that 64 points he had two seasons ago, that was with not so much ice time. He averaged only 15 minutes time on ice per game. This year, he averaged closer to 18 minutes and 66 points in 77 games. That's a 70-point pace. Right there. So moving forward, is Kucherov a guy who we could say is gonna be at least a 70-point guy? Like he's keeping it up in the playoffs. Stamkos is someone we don't even know where he'll end up, and obviously we'll talk a lot about him once, if slash when he gets traded or signed in the offseason. But forgetting about Stamkos, Brian, Nikita Kucherov, should he be in this top 10 consideration? Is he, I guess, like Brent Burns, is he a guy who we could consider a 70-point guy now? And maybe should we be expecting closer to 80 points if he's gonna keep going up? He's only twenty-two years old. He's just hitting
1: his primer. Maybe he hasn't even hit. it yet. At 22, here's hoping that he's not peaking for his career right now.
0: Okay, moving on (laughs) next team.
1: (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, I think I want to look at this in the context of last year and the big debate in Tampa was which of the triplets should you take first? Kucherov, Palat, or Johnson? And then if you even looked at the second biggest debate in drafting Tampa players, it was probably can we count on a top tier worthy season from Victor Hedman on the blue line? Nobody at all was thinking, well, who's the first Lightning that I should draft? Because it was going to be Steven Stamkos across the board. And Steven Stamkos not only being one of the first Tampa players to draft, but one of the first forwards overall to draft. But now we do have a new debate going into this year's drafts, and it is, which is the first Tampa player you should draft? Is it Stamkos? or is it somebody else probably Nikita Kucherov especially with the way he's playing in the playoffs right now his stock is absolutely rising and if we look at the numbers they say that yeah Kucherov has been better than Stamkos over the last 2 seasons Kucherov wins out in pretty much every even strength goal point shot shot attempt related metric that you can find and mind you Kucherov himself is in turn beaten by Tyler Johnson and in some of those categories, but Kucherov does set himself apart as the only Tampa player to straight-up outscore Stephen Stamkos at even strength in that span. Now, my knee-jerk reaction to this was, well, Stephen Stamkos scores more goals, and goals sometimes carry more weight or are harder to find in fantasy leagues, so you should probably go with him still if they're about even, because Kucherov didn't exactly blow Stamkos out of the water in total even strength points over the last two years, but... If we're looking at just goals, Kucherov had 38 in the last two seasons, which amounts to just four fewer goals than Stamkos' 42 in the same stretch. This is all at even strength, of course. But the thing is, is that Kucherov has played 220 fewer minutes than Stamkos has in that span, which is the equivalent of about 12 games worth of ice time. So could Kucherov hypothetically, conceivably make up those four goals over 12 games, I think, probably, yes. So that does take a little shine off of the argument that Stamkos is the more elite goal scorer because over the last two years, he hasn't set himself apart from Kucherov in doing that at even strength. Stamkos did have the goals for per 60 minutes upper hand on Kucherov, so he scored more goals relative to the ice time he was given just for this past season, but Kucherov definitely makes up the difference and then some with his assists. So to wrap this all up, could Stamkos possibly still be the better player, like, tete-a-tete? Sure, maybe life is easier for Kucherov than it is for Stamkos. Maybe Kucherov doesn't get keyed in on as much by his opponents. Maybe he sees less of the opposing team's shutdown line than Stamkos does. But as a fantasy producer, it's definitely questionable about whether Stamkos is worth more than Kucherov. Time is going to tell us how opposing teams react to Kucherov's emergence this year and what effect that's going to have on his production. And keep in mind, there's still a lot of moving pieces on the Lightning, including Steven Samkos, You have to think that if he packs his bags and leaves the team, it's going to make it that much more difficult for Kucherov to repeat the outstanding season that he put together.
0: Okay, so yeah, and we'll definitely get into Stamkos if and when something happens. Just to wrap a bow on Kucherov, you didn't really answer my question, Brian. When we're drafting next year, assuming, let's say, nothing changes and Stamkos stays with Tampa Bay, was Kucherov's 70-point pace season this year, was that sustainable? Is that something we should be able to expect for next year? Or should we maybe even expect higher? Which is what I, exactly, what I asked the last time I talked.
1: <laughs> you can say that if you'd like.
0: Which I think is exactly what I asked the last time I talked. Not that I didn't enjoy your amazing analysis about <laughs> no. Stamkos versus Kucherov. It was fantastic. But I just got to know the numbers. What's your projection for Nikita Kucherov next year?
1: What's interesting about Kucherov is that last year, he had 65 points in 82 games played, had a pretty high even strength on ice shooting percentage, but it was low on the power play. And this year, that flipped. His even strength shooting percentage, well, was still maybe a touch high, but definitely sustainable. And his shooting percentage with the man advantage went up. And also, the power play seemed to go through him a little more this year than it did in years past. He was in on 80% of all goals scored while he was on the ice when Tampa was on the power play. Elon, to answer your question and to tie it back to everything I said, where were you going to draft Stamkos this year? Let's say he stays on Tampa. Wait, back to me? Yes.
0: I'm going to say I'm looking at Stamkos as a 70-point player, give or take, maybe plus or minus 5.
1: Yeah, and I think you can say exactly the same about Kucherov. A big piece is going to be whether Stamkos stays with Tampa. I think that is going to have an effect on Kucherov's season next year. But I think you can safely pencil him in as a 65-plus-point guy, hopeful for 70.
0: So when you say hopeful for 70, you don't think he's maybe going to vault into like the 80 point player that he seems to be like sort of projecting towards right now.
1: You know, I guess I actually see him going into next year the way a lot of people saw Ryan Johansson going into this year. Everybody was really ready to call him a 70 point guy. I wasn't there yet, as I've gone on and on about. But he was drafted as a 70-point guy who might hit 75, might even be a point per game. That's how I see Kucherov this year. So maybe I'm being too cautious with my prediction. I think 65 is the floor. 70 is reasonably hopeful. And then 75 and anything more than that would be gravy.
0: All right, fair enough, and, you know, thinking about the Lightning, there might be some diamonds in the rough there. Of course, Tyler Johnson is doing what he did last year and just going crazy in the playoffs. He's right behind Kucherov with seven points so far, but he had a pretty weak season overall, so if you think Kucherov's going to do really well, I can't imagine Tyler Johnson will be too far behind. I think he could bounce back, so he might be a nice diamond in the rough pick for next year. If you can't get Kucherov, if he gets drafted too high, maybe you could get Tyler Johnson. Also, Jonathan Druin has been doing pretty well in the playoffs so far. He had that big three-assist game four assists overall in the series and more importantly he's been getting big minutes he's been playing on the top power play he's being utilized as a core player on the Tampa Bay Lightning it'll be really interesting to keep watching him as the playoffs progress and I'll be very curious to see where we're projecting Druin next year when coming up with our 2016-17 projections
1: yeah if there were any doubts that the Lightning had some weird reservation about using Jonathan Druin to his full potential in the postseason after all the drama that happened in the regular season. That's sort of been put to rest with his production now and his usage. He is second only to Valtteri Filppula in even strength time on ice, these playoffs for the Lightning, and is second only to Nikita Kucherov in man advantage time on ice in these playoffs. It's curious now as to why he wasn't given this opportunity in the regular season, but it's nice to see that he is getting it in the postseason and that he's doing something with and making a good case for him to continue getting this kind of deployment.
0: And, you know, when I think of Jonathan Druin, it also makes me think of another player, Ryan Strom. I feel like going into this season, these were two guys that we thought were going to break out and be really big and then both of them had this like huge disappointing season both got sent to the minors for large stretches but in these playoffs their performances have been exact opposites While Druin is, like you said, like having this big role, Ryan Strom was actually scratched yesterday for the New York Islanders, which just like really is representative of his season as a whole. Like Ryan Strom only had 28 points in 70 games this year. And the reason why he didn't play 82 games wasn't because he got injured. It's because he was sent to the minors for that stretch. And I remember when he got sent to the minors, we were all saying, well, you know... They're just doing this for whatever reason. When he comes back, he's going to be great. Don't drop Ryan Strome. Then he got called back. Nothing ended up happening. Everyone dropped him in all of their leagues. And in these playoffs, nothing. But like, this is a guy who two years ago had 50 points in 81 games, really looked like he was on the verge of breaking out. Brian, like, why is this guy getting scratched? Is he just not that good? Is he not as good as people thought he would be? Or is it an issue with the coach? Like, Is there going to be any reason why someone should draft Ryan Strome next year? Or is he the kind of guy that you just wait and see if he heats up and then you could grab him in free agency? Like, I'd imagine in Keeper League, some people had been holding him for a couple of years.
1: You mentioned the coach, Elon, and that is honestly my first thought here, to think that maybe he's being submarined by Jack Capuano. I look at the players on the Islanders who saw Ice Time as a forward last game, and I'm seeing names like Steve Bernier and Alan Quine, although Alan Quine, he did score the overtime winner in the second overtime last night, so maybe there's good reason for him to be in the lineup. But I feel like Reinstrom is not the weakest forward in the group. If you look at the Isles energy line of Clutterbuck, Sezikis, and Martin, those are the guys who are getting ice time instead of Strom, and they're, I guess, providing value that Jack Capuano appreciates and maybe is really useful in the playoffs, but Ryan Strom is better at scoring than all of them.
0: Well, he didn't score very much this year.
1: Yeah, that's true, and he was really hampered by his shooting percentage this year, just shooting four and a half percent at even strength, which is a 6% drop from his shooting last year, which was at about 10% even strength, which is about where it should be. And if you look at his share of assists while he's on the ice, he kept that about steady from year to year. It's just his goal scoring went down a whole lot, and I don't think he was given ample chances to snap out of it. So I'm still hopeful about Ryan Strom. I'm not writing him off after this season. I think a new coach might do him some wonders. Maybe a little brown nosing might also do him some wonders as well over the offseason, come in next year in great shape or whatever he can do to boost his reputation around the locker room. But yes, it has been a very disappointing season for Ryan Strom. Do I think it's the end of Ryan Strom? Absolutely not. He's frustrated me and Isles fans and other fancy owners because there are times where he really does look like he doesn't know what he's doing or doesn't care a whole lot about what he's doing. And I know that's a lot to attribute to a guy who's, you know, I'm watching through a screen But seeing moments like that contrasted with moments of some real offensive brilliance, you really want the offensive brilliance side to win out. And I'm not giving up that that could be the case over the next year or two. He's definitely someone to watch and someone who won't be drafted as high, if at all, compared to where he was drafted last season.
0: So if you had to pick right now between him and Drew, and I assume you're going Drew in for next year?
1: Yes, assuming Druin doesn't get suspended at some point in these playoffs by his own organization, I will stick with Jonathan <laughs> Druin.
0: And by the way, you mentioned Alan Quine. I don't know who he is. Let's not get into him except he was actually playing on the top line yesterday for the Islanders. He got quite the promotion. And then, like you said, that overtime goal, he also had five shots on goal. So big game for Alan Quine playing with Tavares and Okposo. John Tavares, by the way, another playoff hero so far. Seven points in five games played. No surprises there. That's like saying, oh, Jamie Ben has been a hero. Shocker. But he has been. He's been great. <laughs> And you know who else is great? Our sponsor, SeatGeek! I don't know about you, Brian, but I like going out of the house every once in a while, maybe checking out a game or a concert or something, but I don't want to have a frustrating time looking for tickets, having hidden charges, not knowing what's the best value, and that's why I really like SeatGeek. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time, never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and SeatGeek will let you know if the ticket prices fall.
1: Yeah, you know, I really get the feeling that they want me to get the lowest price on whatever ticket I buy from them. They're not trying to get extra cash out of me at the last second.
0: Yeah, Brian, they want you to be happy. And you know what? They want you and our listeners to be even more happy because they're offering a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase just because you're a listener to Keeping Carlson. All you have to do is download the app, go to the site, buy a ticket, enter the offer code KEEPING, as in Keeping Carlson, and you will get a $20 rebate off your first purchase. So check it out. SeatGeek, they would definitely be ranked as a playoff hero and not a playoff zero. They're the Kucherovs and Brent Burnses, not the Reinstroms, of ticket-buying places.
1: Yes, absolutely. Be more happy. Buy your tickets with SeatGeek. Wow, SeatGeek,
0: you hear that? We're even giving you slogans. But okay, Brian, back to the hockey content. Back to some playoffs heroes and zeros so far. How about we go over to St. Louis now? The Blues are really taking it to the Blackhawks. I made a bet on the Blackhawks to win the Cup, like, earlier on in the season. I thought it was looking good for a while, but now I'm in a lot of trouble. Three games to two for the Blues, and a big reason for that is, of course, Vladimir Tarasenko. He's got five points so far in the series, but you know what? He hasn't been the only St. Louis Blue that's been producing. There's been a whole team of really great performances. Alex Pietrangelo also has five points. Jaden Schwartz has five points. Shattenkirk has four But zeroing in on Tarasenko, back to that patron rankings that I was telling you about, Tarasenko narrowly made it into the top 10. He is the 10th ranked fantasy player for next season, according to the Keeping Carlson patrons. And Brian, I'm curious to know if you agree with this projection for him. Like, is he now one of the top elite players in the league? Maybe we had this conversation last year, and this year, you know, he definitely lived up to his expectations, at least for a lot of it. He ended the year with 74 points in 80 games. And aside from a slow run, and I guess it was around like February, January and February, he had 15 points in 25 games at the start of the new year for those first two months. And a lot of people were asking what's going on with Tarasenko. Ended the year with a bang, 12 points in 12 games in March, 8 points in 5 games in April. Like I said, he's carried it on into the playoffs. Brian, I think it's about time you give us a rundown on Vladimir Tarasenko. What do we think for next year? He had 74 points this year. Is he the point-per-game guy that you said Kucherov is not just yet?
1: Tarasenko is closer than Kucherov. He has a smaller leap to make both in point production to get there to elite point production status and also in draft position as well. Last year he was on average the 8th forward taken in ESPN, 11th forward taken on average on Yahoo and in the last two years he's proven himself to really deserve at least that. He's the NHL leader. In even strength points per 60 minutes, he's fifth in shots per 60 minutes and fifth in unblocked shots per 60 minutes. Since the puck dropped to begin the 2014-15 season, his 47 even strength goals tie him with Alex Ovechkin as the league's leading goal scorer. Whoa! And then if you count assists, there are only two players who've outscored him in even strength over the last two years, and those are Sidney Crosby, who has just three more points than him, and Jamie Benn, who has two more points than him. But then if you look at all situations, if we start including power play time as well, that's when his rank starts to fall a little bit. If you look at straight counting all situations over the last couple of years, he falls to ninth overall in total points score, just one behind Eric Carlson. And that's because we're now counting his power play production, which just hasn't been up there for the last two years combined with the other Big name power play producers who really set themselves apart from the pack. Tarasenko ranks 29th in total power play points scored over the last two years, but it's worth noting that some of that is a function of ice time for sure. He's played about 100 minutes less with the man advantage than a lot of the guys ahead of him, and somehow 200 fewer than Ovechkin, 300 fewer than Carlson. so his man advantage points per 60 actually gives him a friendlier ranking of 11th in the league, which sounds way better than the 29th straight up points scored. So knowing that his power play scoring has been what's held him back, if we're looking at a sample size of the last two years, can he get there? Can he put that piece together? The good news is that he already has started to. If you look at just this past season, we can recognize that he finished ninth amongst all forwards in straight-up power play points, and he ranked even higher in points per 60 minutes. Mind you, he was clustered with seven other forwards who all scored 24 points with the man advantage. Gaining separation from that pack is what he needs to do to be a no-doubter top 5, top 10 forward for me. And yeah, I'm pretty sure he can do that. He led all St. Louis Blues in power play time on ice. I expect that to continue. The Blues power play was also ranked 6th in the league this year, and it pretty much runs through Tarasenko. He's going to have to will himself to that extra production, so those extra 4 or 5 power play points that'll really set him apart from the pack but everything my eyes have seen from this year, tell me that he is capable of doing that.
0: All right, clear skies ahead for Tarasenko. Like I said, he was ranked 10th in the Keeping Carlson Patron rankings. Then actually, we ended up having a big debate. We were voting on number 12 yesterday, and it was coming down to Stamkos, Joe Pavelski, and Evgeny Malkin. And a lot of people were saying, why is Malkin so low? He's actually one of the best players, like better than Tarasenko. You know, if you look at the playoffs so far, Malkin has come back, has played three games, and he has... Six points in those three games. He's leading the playoffs in points per game in, obviously, only three games. But also, that's Malkin, right? Like, in the regular season also, if you rank the players by points per game, he's always, like, in the top two or three. But if you rank overall, he's never near the top because he always gets injured. And especially these last couple of years, he's been injured at the worst time right in the fantasy hockey playoffs but then a lot of patrons are making the point that, you know, you can't really hold that against him. He doesn't choose when he gets injured. It's very possible that next year he might not get injured or he might get injured at some earlier point in the season where it doesn't matter. Brian, I was curious to get your thoughts on this. If you were to compare these four guys, Tarasenko, Stamkos, maybe let's actually take Stamkos out of it because we've already talked about him. Even just Tarasenko, Pavelski, Malkin. Like, who do you draft first of those three next season? And Joe is a guy we barely even mentioned. We talked about Brent Burns on San Jose. Pavelski's just been a stud. I feel like maybe underrated. Like, at this point, he's, like, one of the most reliable players in fantasy. Just gets points all the time. So many power play points. So Pavelski, he's great. Tarasenko, he's great. Malkin, also great. Maybe even better points per game, like I'm saying. But the injury risk... Who would you want?
1: Am I choosing a healthy Malkin? <laughs> no,
0: you're drafting for next season for the Kakupful, like you will be doing.
1: Okay, because Malkin last season, we were just talking about players who set themselves apart from the pack in power play points. Say that 10 times fast. Evgeny Malkin, in 15 fewer games, finished in the top five in a three-way tie for third with 27 points, which is incredible, given, again, that he played 15 fewer games. His production was over a point per game, although just barely so if we're splitting hairs here. So if I could have assurances that he was going to be healthy, I would happily, happily take him first of that group. Although, we can't have assurances that Malkin will be healthy. Oh wait, did I say 15 fewer games this year? I meant 25 fewer games this year. He missed 25 games this year and still did what he did in terms of being up there with the leaders in power play points. The year before, he missed 13 games. The year before, he missed 22 games. And actually, this year's 25 games all or mostly happened at the end of the season, which was just a killer for those who had him in their fantasy playoffs. For that reason, I feel like he does deserve to drop a few draft spots. I think I'll take Pavelski or Tarasenko before Malkin.
0: Wow, okay. Well, I think that's what the patrons are saying as well. Maybe Malkin will be a steal. Malkin's the kind of guy... You're rolling the dice if you're going to draft him as, like, your top guy. If you get him in the second round, that's always pretty good. But you just got to hope they won't get injured in your fantasy hockey playoffs because that will probably spell doom for you like it did for, I'm sure, a lot of people this year. Yeah,
1: high risk, high reward if you go with Evgeny Malkin. I don't know if that'll be my strategy come draft day. If it is, though, I would pick him ahead of those guys.
0: Yeah, but no, I think I'm with you. Just give me, like, a Joe Pavelski or a Tarasenko. You know they're going to get you a ton of goals, ton of power play points, lots of shots. Brian... You asked me to prepare a player this week to do a Brian-type analysis for one of the playoff zeros. So since I did that, how about you take my job and bring up this next player? Oh man, how do I do that? You know, we've done a hundred shows. I feel like you probably get the gist of what I do. You got to raise your voice a little bit, get excited, bring up the intensity, and just act really shocked about how badly this player has been doing.
1: All right, Elon, we saw the Detroit Red Wings bow out of the playoffs already this year in a very meek showing against the Tampa Bay Lightnings, although there were some tight games. It never really looked like the Red Wings mounted a sustainable challenge to Tampa. Ben Bishop was a huge reason for that, of course, but okay. If you look at the players that you would expect to score for the Red Wings, Datsuk, Zetterberg, they did nothing (laughs) Elon, what is going on with Henrik Zetterberg? Pavel Datsuk, he might be going back to Russia next season, so let's forget about him for now. Henrik Zetterberg, we know, is going to still be in the NHL next season, 100%. What could we expect from him going forward? Is this for real? Where would you rank him? How would you compare him to Tarasenko? What do you think his ceiling is? What do you think his floor is? Where do you think he should be drafted?
0: (laughs) I'm going to answer all of these questions for you, Brian. That was Fantastic. First of all, definitely Tarasenko over Zetterberg. That's a ridiculous question. Especially if you look at Zetterberg this season. He had 13 goals and 37 assists for 50 points. 50 points this year. And that's playing all 82 games. Wait, I guess I shouldn't get too excited because I'm playing the role of Brian right now. That's playing 82 games. And then in the playoffs, one goal, zero assists in five games played. So basically nothing from Henrik Zetterberg. He basically was the Adam Quine. He got one goal.
1: Alex. Way to go. Alex Quine.
0: Alex Quine, whatever. (laughs) Oh, wait, Alan Quine. Alan Quine. Okay, we've got it. So Zetterberg has had such a great career that he does deserve for us to know his name, but I'm not sure how much respect we should give him going into next year. So let's take a look at how bad this season really was for him. Let's put this into perspective. He had a 0.61 point per game pace overall. Like I said, 50 points. Now, in 2002-2003, in his rookie season, when he was 22 years old, he was at 056 22 goals, 22 assists, 44 points in 79 games. So 0.61 this year, 0.56 in his rookie year. After that, he was 0.7. Then after that, he was always at least 0.86, which is a 70-point pace and was much more commonly over 0.95 points per game. So basically, he's been a point-per-game player his whole career. And then all of a sudden this year, down to a 50-point pace. That is a huge, huge drop for Henrik Zetterberg all throughout the year, Brian, you and I were saying, oh, he'll probably bounce back. It's Zetterberg. He's still taking shots. But if we dig into this, this 0.61 point per game pace might not even tell the whole story because he had 14 points in 11 games in October. And if you take away that month and just look at his pace for the rest of the season after October, he only had 36 points in 71 games. That's a 0.5 point per game pace. That's half point per game. That's barely fantasy relevant. And you know what? Maybe we should have seen something like this coming. Because after an injury-riddled year in 2013-14, where he ended with 48 points in 45 games, last year he only had 66 points in 77 games, which is a .86 point-per-game pace. Still really good, but still more like a 70-point pace when he was before that being over point-per-game. Then this year was the huge drop. Now he's 35 years old. Maybe this is it. The question, of course, is should we expect him to be able to do more than 50 points next year? And I know, Brian, the first place you like to look is in shooting percentage. And he did have a weak shooting percentage this year. He had a 6.1% shooting percentage, the lowest ever in his career. But you know what? Even if he hit his career average of 10%, he'd only have eight more goals, which I shouldn't say only. That would be eight more goals. That would give him 20 goals and 58 points. A little more respectable, but still far off his regular mark. He had a 6.42 on-ice shooting percentage, also very low. In the previous years, he's had 7.79, 10.77. But then a 6.69 in 2012-2013, his on-ice shooting percentage, 6.69, and he still had 48 points in 46 games. So he has been able to produce even when his line mates have had bad luck. So I'm not sure if we can just call this only bad luck. I think, though, when you look at shooting percentages, you have to look at the shots on goal overall, and like I said, he was taking a lot of shots, and for an average NHLer, sure, he was taking a lot of shots, but his average shots on goal per game were way down. He had 2.61 shots on goal per game on average. The last year, he was 2.95, and then before that, he's been over three for three years, and then before that, he was over four shots a game for three years. So this is a huge decrease from what we're used to from Henrik Zetterberg. I know you also like to look at power play points. 22 power points this season was a bit low, but he's had other seasons with similar power play production and still great overall numbers. His average time on ice was 19 and a half minutes per game, so his role wasn't diminished. It's not as if he's been not given the opportunity to produce. He's always been in the top six and on the top power play. He's almost always been playing with Justin Abdulkader, and then the other linemate has shifted between Dylan Larkin and Pavel Datsuk and Gustav Nyquist. Brian, how am I doing so far? Uh... Have you fallen asleep? No. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, because now I want to get into some advanced stats. The advanced stats. Let's talk about Corsi. Did you think I was going to bring up Corsi? I didn't think you were going to bring up Corsi. Is Corsi
1: still an advanced stat? I
0: don't know. So we're talking about when he's on the ice, are there more shots for or against? And obviously when I say shots, when we talk about Corsi, we include missed shots and blocked shots and all of that. But basically his Corsi percentage was 51.2%. That was his worst ever by a large, large margin in his whole career. Usually he's closer to 54 or higher. And you might say, well, maybe his team just wasn't as good. So it's not his fault. But then there's a stack called Corsi relative where you compare his Corsi to the rest of his team. And he was a negative 3.8%, which was the first time ever he was below zero. So he was not driving possession like he has been his whole career. And like I said, you know, he had good opportunities. He played a lot. His offensive zone start percentage was above his average. So you can't say that the coach is giving him more defensive roles. I know we've decided that Offensive zone start percentage isn't the best metric because lots of plays start partway through and blah blah blah. But anyways, just to say, it's not as if he's been given a more defensive role. Okay, so Brian, after all of this, here's my conclusion: I think things aren't looking good for Henrik Zetterberg as he gets older. I expect his ice time will probably go down finally to give more time to guys like Larkin and Nyquist and Tatar. And it just seems like he's been on a downturn for the past couple of seasons. And last season, he was pretty weak the whole way through. He even got worse as the season wore on. He ended with 9 points in his last 19 games. That's less than a half point per game pace. Maybe we can be generous and say that with a bit more luck in the team and personal shooting percentage departments, he can get up to 55 to 60 points. But I think if you draft him expecting more than that, you'd be foolish. I'm going to peg him for 55 points next year. And that's if he can stay healthy... This year, he did play all 82 games, which was very impressive. But that's not the norm for Henrik Zetterberg over the past few seasons. Most likely, he'll miss a few games and end up with less than 50 points.
1: A bold prediction, the decline, the end, essentially, of Henrik Zetterberg, who has been a long-time first-two-round stalwart in fantasy drafts. it's interesting, Elon, that you said... The end of the season was really upsetting because I actually saw the end of the season as a bit of a silver lining. In terms of straight-up production, Henrik Zetterberg was better in the first half than he was in the second half, but you spent so much time talking about his shots and how they were in decline. If you look at his last 30 or so games after the All-Star break, he was averaging three to four shots a night, but his shooting percentage was down to half of what it was in the first half of the season. It was down to 4%. So I saw him recovering in the volume of shots he was taking, but his shooting luck went south the other way, and it just didn't all come together at the right time. Mind you, in league's account plus minus, he was also a minus 20 in those last 33 games played of the season. I think there is good reason to be concerned about Henrik Zetterberg, Elon. I think you detailed a lot of those points. My curiosity is... Is he going to play next year like he did in the first half of the season or he did in the second half of the season? I think if he can keep up what he did to end the season, even though the points weren't there this time around, I think they'll come back if he can keep doing that, if he can up his shooting game again.
0: Well, and I guess maybe you could also say if you're thinking, oh, and he's going to be even worse because Daszak won't be there. His best month of the year was when dasik was injured in October. So is that ever does or at least has in the past proven that he can get points without Datsik, so I wouldn't necessarily worry about that I'm more worried about his age and his downturn and looks like lower quality of play based on the course scene all that stuff
1: okay Elon you're at the draft table you need to choose you've got in front of you Henrik Zetterberg Dylan Larkin and Alan Quine who do you go for first
0: (laughs) I think I'm gonna go Dylan Larkin I don't know. I have to think about it. I wish you would have given me some better options. Like Larkin had such a great start to the year and then really disappeared at the end. But he was a rookie. You know, he's young. He's clearly going to get better. Like in like two or three years, definitely Larkin. Next year, I could see it being close. I could see both of them being around 55 points, to be honest. Maybe I would go Zetterberg because he gives you more shots on goal. But it's not a sure thing, that's for sure.
1: The only thing that's certain is uncertainty.
0: I guess and also that Alan Quine isn't really in that conversation. <laughs> that's pretty certain. <laughs> but if he plays with Tavares and Okposo. maybe. Anyway. <laughs> okay, Brian, what do we have left here? How
1: about we talk about some of the goalie storylines that are emerging in the first round of the playoffs this year?
0: Okay, yeah, good point. We have to especially talk about McCall Neuwerth. I think, to me, this is the biggest surprise. Steve Mason led the charge took the Flyers into the playoffs, had a great game in Game 1 against the Capitals. The Capitals won, but he only let in, like, two goals, I think. After that, not so great. Mikhail Neuberth came in when the series was three games to nothing and has had two amazing games. Like, amazing doesn't even say the whole story. Like, the Capitals have outshot the Flyers by so much, and somehow Neuberth has been able to get two wins for the Flyers. Now they're going into Game 6. If, let's say, in Game 6... Washington wins like 1-0 in overtime, and Neuwirth has another amazing game. How will that affect your feelings going into next year, drafting... A goalie for the flyers like do you think there's a goalie controversy for next year or do you think this is just a playoffs thing and next year it'll still be steve mason as the number one guy and don't forget like there was some controversy during the season where it looked like mason was losing starts. so i feel like definitely mason is not a sure shot number one goalie next year unless you're going to tell me otherwise
1: i still think steve mason is a sure shot number one goalie he's elite his numbers have been fantastic he's the only reason the flyers are in the playoffs i mean neuvert maybe if he kept going he would also be the reason the flyers are in the playoffs but goaltending. Period. Regardless of who it came from, there's a big reason they're there, and Steve Mason is a big part of that goaltending tandem. I don't have any doubts about Steve Mason. I don't think he's a number two goalie at all. I think if the Flyers were to keep both, I'd still want them to lean to giving Mason a majority of the starts, and like a pretty big majority of the starts. I'd want him to see 50, 55, maybe even 60 games next year. What Michael Neuverth is proving right now, though, is that he could be a number one at the NHL level. We've seen flashes from him in the past. I don't know if you remember, Elon. way back when he was with the Capitals, it was him, Varlamov, and Holtby all working and jockeying for position for a couple years. He, of course, was the odd one out at some point and then went on a little tour around the league playing for several different teams. He settled in with Philly quite nicely, and I think another team in the offseason is probably going to want to give him a chance to be their starting goalie. The question is, though, will any team be able to pry him from the Flyers? Because he's on a very reasonable $1.6 million contract for one more year. After that, he'll be a UFA. But for now, if you can get a guy like Michael Neuverth, who's had flashes of brilliance and flashes of non-brilliance, of course, at the same time, but I think if he gets in the net consistently, he can be about an average NHL goaltender, and that's something that there's still a few teams around the league don't have.
0: And I do think even if he stays on the flyers, he might be a good guy to draft late in your draft or grab as a free agent at some point in the year. Because Mason, even if he has really good numbers, which I'm not as convinced as you, he can do consistently. He had some rough patches this year. Also, he gets injured a lot. So Neuwerth is going to get a lot of games next year regardless of what's going on with Steve Mason. And I think he's shown that he can give you some really good numbers. So maybe a guy to watch. Definitely very exciting in the playoffs. I'm very excited to see how this series is going to turn out. One other goalie controversy. We have to talk about the team that I know you said, Brian, we're not allowed to talk about them anymore, but I think you meant for the regular season. So it's okay to talk about the goalies in Anaheim right now. Gibson played the first two games for the Ducks. Two losses against Nashville. Then Anderson came in and played really well. Got a shutout and had one goal against in the other game. So it looks like Anderson has taken the net for the Ducks. The series is now tied 2-2. I don't even know what the question is. Like who knows what's going to happen next year with these two guys. Maybe someone will leave in the summer. But definitely Gibson didn't do a good job so far of showing that he should be the number one guy next year.
1: I think Gibson is on too good a contract and has had too many of the organization's resources invested into him for them to consider him not as their number one goalie going forward. I don't know how controversial an opinion that is right now, given that it was actually my opinion at the start of the season as well. I think Anderson's hot run getting the Ducks back into the series with Nashville has done one very good thing for Anaheim, and that's up his trade value. He's still under team control, even though his contract is over this season. He's just restricted free agent, so the Ducks will have control of his rights in the offseason. I don't think there's any real sign that he's going to be a better NHL goalie than Gibson in the future. Can he be as good? Probably. But we've seen them go back and forth in the exact same situation for the exact same team, night in, night out, all year long, and neither one has really taken the mantle. I don't expect Anderson to be able to do that based on two excellent playoff starts. I think Gibson is the guy going forward. And if the Ducks don't make a decision soon, they definitely are going to before expansion or the rumored expansion happens. Because at that time, they're only going to be able to protect one goalie. They're going to have to get rid of one of them before that happens. Thank goodness.
0: So Brian, if let's say nothing changes, and let's say going into next season, the Ducks still have these two goalies, Would you draft one of them high or would they both just fall kind of like this? Well, this year was different, right? Because Gibson started in the minors. Like, how would you go into the draft next year? Just avoid both of them because you don't know which one is going to get the starts. I guess that's what we've been trying to decide all season long.
1: Yeah, it's so hard because Anaheim is a really good hockey team and their goalie is going to get a lot of wins. But it's the same thing in St. Louis, right? Between Allen and Elliott. We don't know which guy to go with. We've had this conversation so many times over the last couple of years in so many situations. This is a situation where you have to pick if you're happy with like 20 or 25 wins from a guy playing for a good team who's going to put up good save percentage and goals against average numbers for you over a guy who might get, you know, 30 wins but have worse peripheral numbers.
0: Yeah, and obviously we're going to have our big Schwartgoldesborg episode probably in like August, where we're going to give all of our goalie tiers, and we'll talk about this some more. Maybe we'll even talk about it some more as the playoffs keep on going. But Brian, I guess we're approaching the end of the show right now. You had a new segment you
1: wanted to do to close out the show. I think this is just a one-off, actually, Elon. We're going to call it playoff binaries. Players who have either one or zero points in the (laughs) playoffs so far. Just a list of names of players who have really disappointed, who are seeing big ice time for their teams early on, but haven't delivered results with that ice time.
0: Okay, I'm curious to hear this list. Maybe these are hints of guys that maybe will be overrated, underrated going to the next draft. I guess the analysis is a whole other thing, but give us the list.
1: So we have Andrew Ladd in Chicago, who had a disappointing season all year with the Jets. That has continued into the playoffs. No points in five playoff games so far. Of course, that is a very hotly contested series. Points might be a little hard to come by, but I would have expected a little more from him. John Klingberg finally got his first point of the playoffs last night, thanks to a terrible turnover by the Wild in their own zone. Jamie Benn was able to put it away to help Klingberg register that assist, but he has also been a disappointment through the later part of the year, had just six points in 12 games to end the season. I know he's a defenseman, so that's actually pretty good, but it's not Klingbergian or the Klingbergian that we were hoping for, and that is carried over into the playoffs.
0: Yeah, obviously one of these guys is a bit more surprising in his lack of production than the other. Obviously we would have expected a lot more from Klingberg Ladd, who really knew after this week's season, like you said, I would love for Ladd to step it up because I want those Blackhawks to win this series and they're going to need some production from Andrew Ladd.
1: Yes. The one thing that sets your fantasy team in our playoff pool and mine apart is you picked the Blackhawks. I picked the Blues. So go St. Louis. I don't think the Blackhawks are going to pull this one off.
0: Maybe. Well, I don't care as much about that as I care about just my bet on the Blackhawks. But let's bring up the playoff pool because I do care about the playoff pool. It's just hard because there's so many teams ahead of me already. This has been a very exciting pool. The Keeping Carlson playoff pool, which we advertised in the last podcast. Hopefully, if you're listening, you got in on it. We have 119 competitors and the leader right now for what it's worth. You know, in the first round, it's hard to really give too much value to being in the league because maybe you're going to lose half of your players. But right now, Zingy Zaps is number one with 74 points. Compare that to me, I'm in 68th with 55 points, and then if we keep going down the list, when we see 114th, that's where Brian's Flamingos come in with 45 points, but still, lots of playoffs to go, the players leading Zingy Zaps right now, he's got Brent Burns with 8 points, John Carlson with 6, Couture with 6, Pavelski with 6, Nicholas Backstrom with 6, Tarasenko with 5, like, he's got all the good guys, and you know what, his players are San Jose who's advanced, Washington, who you would think will advance, St. Louis, who is ahead. Like He's in great shape to go on a deep run. So congratulations to Zingy Zaps for having the lead so far. I think you might have a good chance of taking this, though Jeremy and Carlson's of Anarchy are not far behind with 71 points each. It's going to be fun.
1: It's a marathon, not a sprint. Elon, if you recall last year, I was really teasing you a lot for being at the bottom of the standings for like the first two rounds, and then you passed me at the end without issue. So that's what I'm hoping to do from 114th all the way up to first. It's going to happen. Right now, all my players are still in contention. They're all still playing. I picked no Red Wings, no Kings, and I don't have any Blackhawks either. So I'm going to be okay when the Blues win that series.
0: Yeah, I think me versus you is going to come down to next round because I took a bunch of Capitals and you took a bunch of Penguins. They'll probably play each other and then we'll see who's going to win based on who wins that series. I've already lost a player. I had Nicholas Cronwall. left.
1: Bad pick one point. Speaking of one point, Elon, let me just finish that list of playoff binaries. Drew Doughty ended his postseason with one measly, piddly point. Paul Stasny has not done a whole lot for the Blues. Ryan Kessler has just one point. Voracek and Giroux have been all but invisible for most of the series. Ryan Johansson hasn't done a whole lot. And I think we mentioned this earlier around Kucherov, but Andre Palat hasn't done anything and neither has Victor Hedman for the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're going to have to step it up in the second round if the Lightning are going to push any further than the first round.
0: Yeah, and some of these players we'll definitely talk about. Like Claude Giroux is someone, we have a summer series episode planned where we're going to talk about some players who may be disappointed compared to their expectations. Giroux is like at the top of that list. I guess Voracek too, actually. So it'll be fun to discuss him and say if we think he could get back to being a point per game player or not. Lots to come in the summer series. Stick with us. Every two weeks, we're going to be coming out with a new episode going over what happened in this season, giving projections like this episode about what we think guys are going to do next year and for the years to come. So thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. If you really enjoyed the show, you could give us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be amazing. If you want to become a patron of Keeping Carlson... You can do that any amount of money you want to donate. We'd appreciate it. KeepingCarson.com/slash patron, and we'll give you access to our patron-only Facebook group, our monthly patron cast. By the way, Brian, we need to schedule a patron cast for this month, so something to put on the to-do list. Plus, we're gonna start talking about the cuckupful for next year, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. You'll have to be at least a $5 patron to play in the cuckopful, but you could at least join in the summer for the discussions and make your decision of if you wanna join, it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm just rambling. So how about we cue that outro music? And Brian, read us the credits.
1: All right. This episode of the Kevin Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from hockey analysis, hockey reference, Corsica hockey, war on ice, Dauber Hockey's Frozen Pool, of course, Roto World, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey.
0: Great job as always, Brian. Looking forward to seeing what's going on in the playoffs in a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, the first round of the playoffs is the best time of the year, in my opinion. I can't wait to see how the rest plays out. Enjoy the playoffs, everybody. Until next time in about two weeks, keep on keeping Carl-san.